2: Yes, indeed, it is, and a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, so the President of the United States has bailed. There uh, there were apparently some uh, words that he uh, uh, got wind of, uh, some uh, messages, some statements made uh, on camera, hot mic by uh, some world leaders, including Canadian President Justin Trudeau, uh, mocking the President after their, uh, uh, some of their uh, talks at the NATO summit in London, and the president basically said, uh, I'm out of here. Uh, this is what he said earlier this morning. This was live at about 8.15. I saw this live. It's 8.15 hour time, of course. It's the afternoon there. Uh, but this is what the president said when informed of Trudeau's statements.
3: Well, he's too fast
4: you think that Germany is too
3: nice? And honestly, with Trudeau, he's a nice guy. I, I find him to be a very nice guy. But you know, the truth is that uh, I called him out on the fact that he's not paying 2%. And I guess he's not very happy about
2: it. So he called him two-faced, and uh, again he said he is a nice guy, but he's two-faced, and he's not very happy about being called out. And obviously, the president wasn't very happy about being mocked. Here's another report on the situation from Fox. On the sidelines of a NATO meeting here, President Trump criticizing Canadian Prime Minister Justin <coughs> Trudeau. Well, he's two-faced. The president responding after Trudeau was overheard apparently joking about impromptu Q and A sessions President Trump has been holding here with reporters the president linking the remarks to american pressure for canada to spend more on defense
3: he should be paying more than he's paying and he understands it so i can imagine i can imagine he's not that happy but that's the way it is
2: so uh that's uh, that's where we are right now. And again, word is the president is going to be leaving as soon as the next session is over. He is not going to be uh, talking to reporters or being part of any uh, uh, joint press conferences either. And good for the president. He is indeed putting America first, and he is telling the rest of the world, we won't be your punching bag. We won't be your punching bag. <clears throat> we won't sit here and be mocked. I will not sit here as the president of the United States, the leader of the free world, uh who is indeed the benefactor, of this country is the benefactor for the rest of you. Uh we're not going to sit here and allow this. We're going to continue to demand that you put your own 2% in of your own GDP for defense um and not expect us to come running to save you every time there is a problem because your militaries are not up to uh, up to snuff. We're not going to continue to do that and the president is right to walk away. The president is no matter what you think about his style no matter what you may think about his appearance, no matter what you may think about his uh, personality, the president is a master negotiator. And the president knows when to walk away from a negotiating table. And he knows one of those times is when uh, you are not being taken seriously by the person on the other side of the table. And that's exactly what he's doing. He was doing this uh, earlier this week, too, when talking about China and about whether or not there's going to be a trade deal to end this trade war with China. And he said, yeah, maybe, he said, but maybe we'll put it off till next year. Uh, Maybe we'll put it off until after the 2020 election, in fact. You know, and and, and that's a negotiating tactic. It's a brilliant negotiating tactic, because the Chinese are hoping that Donald Trump, they can just wait Donald Trump out. And he is essentially saying, I will wait till after the 2020 election. In other words, don't think that I'm going to be uh, voted out. I'm going to win again, and I'm going to still be in charge of this thing, and we're not going to sign a bad trade deal between us that we have had for so many decades. We are not going to settle for that again. We are going to do it the right way. And so threatening the president, threatening to not sign anything right now, is, is a great negotiating tactic. Why? Because our economy is doing great, and the Chinese economy is suffering. We are winning the trade war. They are hurting in a big, big way. And the president knows how to negotiate as well as anybody. You want to talk about this and get in? We are guest-free in hour number two. Call 216 or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Also looking for your reaction to the conversation that I just had with um, City Councilman Matt Zone in Cleveland. If you're a Cleveland taxpayer, how do you feel about the... Um, uh, hundred fifty-six thousand dollars being spent to revitalize this uh, potential dirt tr- uh, dirt bike track. How do you feel about spending a couple of million building it if they do? When it's pretty much just in, ma- in my view, anyway, not councilman Zones, I'll speak for me. In my view, it's just another way to uh, uh you know, st- help stop Frank Jackson's grandson and and maybe great grandson from getting in trouble with the law. This is what happened. Uh, multiple times prior to this, prior to the initial conversation about this in 2017. It's like a slush fund. You know, the the uh, city coffers are a slush fund for anything that Mayor Jackson's family needs. They get from the city of Cleveland. That's a problem. You want to get into that? We can get into that. Other huge news of the day, as I noted before, Kamala Harris has announced that she is out as a presidential candidate. She has shut down her campaign saying she has no funds uh, or not enough funds to keep going. She says she's not a millionaire or a billionaire so that she cannot fund it for herself the way others can. And so she is signing out of this thing. Cory Booker and others say this is terrible because it's it's just an indication of the ongoing racism in the United States because she is a black woman. Racism and sexism, by the way. Because she is a black woman, um and, and she's being forced out of this. Remember, it was Klobuchar, it was Amy Klobuchar who was just on uh, on uh, I forgot uh, the View just uh, a couple of days ago, who had the same thing. Amy Klobuchar on Monday, except for the the race part, she's white. But uh, but uh, the View and she were arguing that she would be doing much better in the polls because of her fantastic ideas if she wasn't a woman. So it's got to be racism. It's got to be sexism. Here's Kamala Harris and what she said. All right, where are you, Cammy? I can't hear you. All right, having a problem here. This is there to is.
4: continue. Let me
2: give you the start of that again. So
4: here's the deal, guys. Um, My campaign for president simply does not have the financial resources to continue and the financial resources we need to continue. I'm not a billionaire. I can't fund my own campaign. And as the campaign has gone on, it has become harder and harder to raise the money we need to compete. In good faith, I cannot tell you, my supporters and volunteers, that I have a path forward if I don't believe I do. So, to you, my supporters, my dear supporters, it is with deep regret, but also with deep gratitude, that I am suspending our campaign today. But I want to be clear with you. I am still very much in this fight, and I will keep fighting every day for what this campaign has been about.
2: And we really don't know what that was. And the reason why is because <laughs> nobody really paid much attention to her. She came in with great fanfare. She was one of the front runners. She was one of the you know top-tier candidates. She was going to be up there with Biden and Bernie and others. And uh, she fizzled out because she had no message. That's the bottom line here. She had no message. Now, don't tell that, however, to Joy Reid of AM Joy on MSNBC and others who suggest that, again, this is about race, this is about sexism. If she wasn't a black female, she would have gone further. Uh, she would have more time. And it's very telling, tweeted uh, um, Joy Reid, uh, that she had to back out of this thing now in the way that she did. And it's all because of her sex and her color. Uh, and, and that victimization, again, is, and I'm going to go somewhere else with this, that victimization is exactly what the left doesn't understand about the American people. They think that we are willing to play, because we are becoming quote-unquote woke, woke America, that we are willing to play the victimization, the victocrat game. Again, barring Larry Elder's term, victocrats. That we will look at somebody who didn't succeed at something they tried, and as a nation we will say, well, that's not fair, because they have oppression. They have... Uh, a status that that stacks the deck against them whether it be their color whether it be their gender whether it be their sexual orientation or whatever it is that we are going to then just feel bad about that and then hand them something that they haven't earned this is this is they have never learned the left has never learned that that is not how this works we look at everybody as having an equal opportunity to be successful and we look at numerous examples of this. I go back to a conversation that um, Don Lemon, of all people, Don Lemon on CNN had with Morgan Freeman uh, a couple of years ago, in which Don Lemon was trying to get Morgan Freeman to agree with him that um, uh, black people have uh, less opportunity in this country. Uh, and it's too hard to ask them to be able to achieve at a high level uh, the way white people do because of white privilege and so on and so forth. And he asked uh, Morgan Freeman if he agreed. And Morgan Freeman said no, absolutely not. He said, you and I, and I don't have the audio at the uh, tip of my fingers as I kind of riff here, but he said, you and I are living proof. We're both men of color, and look at where we are. Look at what we've done. Look what we've accomplished. And it's because those opportunities are here for everyone. So th- that is something that the left, though, has never learned uh kamala harris hasn't learned it uh jory reid and others making excuses for her, her haven't you haven't learned that lesson either neither is amy klobuchar again that's a white woman but she's using her gender as a that's the reason i'm trailing in the polls is people don't want a woman president this is absolutely 100 percent not the case uh, among the v- extraordinary majority i won't even say vast the extraordinary majority of americans it's about what do you bring to the table not what do you look like sitting at that table All right, we'll get to your phone calls right after this on AM 1420, The Answer.
0: It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420, The Answer.
2: Onward, we roll 24 minutes after 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So, uh, a lot of ground to cover here still and, uh, and more stories. You want to talk about the victimization and the victocrats and how they continue to think that victim, uh, playing the victim card is going to gain them favor with the American people. It doesn't. Kamala, you learned the lesson yet. Klobuchar, you learned the lesson yet. It's not about what you can use to make people feel guilty for not supporting you. It's about what you can offer them to make them want to support you. That's what this is. Same thing. I'll give you another example. Not presidential politics. Lisa Page. The former FBI attorney, one of the two paramours uh, in the uh, thousands and thousands of text messages between the lovers, Lisa Page and um, uh, Peter Strzok. Lisa Page trying to recast herself now as the uh, Horowitz report comes out, which is going to hold, expected anyway, expected to hold uh, all of these bad actors accountable for their misdeeds in spying on uh, private citizens working for the Trump campaign, uh, and uh, essentially abdicating their respo- abdicating their responsibilities when it came to the Hillary Clinton email investigation. We know what she said. We know what she and uh, Peter Strzok said about trying to skew the election toward Hillary Clinton, trying to stop Donald Trump from a supposedly nonpartisan, nonpolitical agency called the FBI. And what does she do when she's about to be called out for all of that in the report on Monday <clears throat> that is coming out by Michael Horowitz, the inspector general? She plays the victim card. Oh, it hurt my feelings. Oh, it hurt me. It felt like a punch in the gut to hear President Trump making fun of me on stage. Oh, it made me feel bad when the President of the United States called me out on Twitter. You don't get to be the victim when you were the perpetrator of the crime. That's not how it works in our country, Libs. When are you going to understand that? two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Let's go to uh, Jan who's calling us from Greater Cleveland on AM fourteen twenty the answer. Hi Jan go ahead.
4: Hi. Uh you know I wonder how uh, uh wife felt. When she found out that, uh, you know, what kind of a what kind of a punch in the gut was that? When she that's found a great her point. Said,
2: How about what you were doing to another woman by cheating with her? Yeah. That's a great great point. Yes, ma'am.
4: Anyhow, when I heard uh, about uh, A. G. Uh, Barr saying the uh, the police, uh, the communities who uh, mistreat police and have no respect for them might be, might not be protected the way i'm reading that is no they won't get any recruits and people who any police in in a department that has to put up with that kind of disrespect danger and you know uh, all that animosity they'll jump out and find another job there's no doubt about it, it.
2: Yeah, there's and, no and, doubt about and, it. We see it all the time. We hear co- and, we hear departments complaining uh, now, chiefs saying we need more people in the academy, we need more candidates, and they're not coming because they don't want to be a part of that. I don't blame them at all.
4: Yeah, so so I think they're reading it like, oh, they're going to punish us by not giving us any protection. No, look at yourself. You, yeah. you know, it, this is another example of victimization, you know? Uh, yeah, uh, when po- police sit in their car and, and get shot for no good reason, that hurts.
2: Yeah, or no they get dragged, color. or they get dragged down the, down the road uh, like the two officers did yesterday in Dayton. Uh, you uh, know, it, it, they, they are so mistreated, and then when they decide, you know what? I'm not going to put myself in harm's way here. I'm not going to put myself in, you know, my life or my career in jeopardy by getting involved in a situation that I see happening. Then they scream, "Where's the police? Where's the police?" Well, when they show up to do their job. And you attack them; they're not going to show up to do their jobs anymore, and people aren't going to want to apply for the job. As uh, we were just saying, you know, the the uh, uh, police departments in especially in urban centers, you know, large inner city, America, <coughs> excuse me, inner city America, uh, they they can't get people to apply for these jobs. You know, my son is interested in law enforcement. He's only sixteen. He's a junior. He's got you know a long way to go through uh, uh, you know high school and college. But but he's talked about law enforcement, and my wife and I have said, "Not, nah, don't be a cop." We love cops. Thank, thank God they exist. But there are, is a significant number of people in this country who hate them, and who will do everything they can to ruin them and either kill them or lock them up. So no, uh, we we said go look at the federal level. Go be a better federal agent than Peter Struck. That, that's our advice to young people. Uh, Tj in Cleveland is next. Hi Tj, go ahead. You
5: know, hi Bob. You know, Bob, the one minority that gets screwed more than anybody in this country, and they don't talk about it, is the Asian community. You know, I was reading about this Andrew Yang, you know, a presidential candidate. And there's no doubt he's the smartest one on that stage of idiots. Uh, He's being kind of shoved off the Democratic stage because, you know, they just kind of poo-poo him. You know, they have been a victim uh, of affirmative action more than any group in America. Their children constantly score the highest uh, in, in academic, you know, grades. Yet they're being kept out of college because of affirmative action. The Democrats have taken advantage of the Asian community ever since the 1800s. And the reason they do, because they're not a huge voting block, you know, like the black or the brown uh, community. So they just kind of take advantage of them. Uh, They do nothing for them. Uh, I mean, I think it's a shame. And, you know, you never hear them complain, the Asian community, about white privilege. No, their kids go to school, they learn, and they learn better than anybody else. That doesn't stop them. They don't make excuses. They don't look at themselves as victims. The only thing that surprises me is why much of the Asian community supports the Democratic Party. And that's really all I got that's to a, say about that's this, a, TJ,
2: it's a great thing. It's a great point you raise. You know, when we talk about minorities who are mistreated and minorities who were oppressed and minorities who are denied opportunities, despite exceptional qualifications as opposed to sometimes under-qualifications... Uh, it is the Asian community. You're 100% correct. And yet they don't play the victim card. They just continue to do what they do. Uh, they do their best and they're, they're, they're usually amazing. And it's, uh, there's something to be said about many of, you know, a lot of that Asian culture about their work ethic and what it takes to succeed. Uh, great points, TJ. Thanks much. It's 1030 News Time. More calls right after this. on AM 1420 The Answer. onward and upward. The President of the United States is uh, fighting the uh, other world leaders in London at the NATO meetings. And he is fighting them as they continue to try to take advantage of us. Once they started mocking him, he said, I'm out the door. He is on his way back to Washington as soon as the next session is over. He is not going to grace them with his presence anymore. Good for the president. Meanwhile, back at home, they are continuing to try to remove the president, who has done outstanding work. For this country in terms of its economic growth, in terms of its military might, in terms of its job, uh, its uh, job growth, in terms of its uh, reduction in the number of people on food stamps, etc. And they're trying to get rid of him. Why? Because they don't like him. And it's an impeachment that is 100% partisan. Literally zero Republicans are voting for impeachment on the House, uh, on the House side. And zero Republicans will vote for impeachment uh, and removal in the trial on the Senate side. And yet the Democrats are still pursuing this. Kind of odd, isn't it? Considering the fact that Jerry Nadler, who runs the Judiciary Committee, who is now running this impeachment charade after getting the baton handed to him by pencil neck Adam Schiff. Jerry Nadler in 1998, 21 years ago, said this about impeachment. ...is to overturn the popular will of the voters. We must not overturn an election and remove a president from office except to defend our system of government or our constitutional liberties against a dire threat. And we must not do so without an overwhelming consensus of the American people. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties and opposed by the other. Such an impeachment will produce divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions. Where's that, Jerry Nadler? The one who fought so hard on behalf of Bill Clinton, pointing out that uh, an impeachment must not occur unless there is an overwhelming support by the American people. Overwhelming support by the American people. You heard him. Is there an overwhelming support? No, at best it's 50-50. At best. And actually it's flipping the other way. In the uh among independents, more independent voters now say according to polling that they oppose impeachment than the uh, that support impeachment, and that's a direct flip from where it was just 2 weeks ago before the <laughs> the shift show started. <laughs> Um, And yet here's Nadler saying we're going forward with impeachment. Wait a minute. You said it should never be narrow. It should never be just one party supporting it. It has to be bipartisan. Yet here we are. Nobody in the Republican side supports it. And actually, the only bipartisan uh, uh, um, agreement here is on the let's not impeachment side because two Democrats joined all of the Republicans in voting against impeachment before the inquiry began. So Jerry Nadler and his uh, leftist friends in the uh, in the uh, Democrat-controlled House continue their hypocrisy. Your thoughts 888-281-1110. United in Cleveland, united we stand, divided we fall. I have not heard from this man in far too long. Good to have you back on the airwaves, my friend. Go right ahead.
5: Yeah, it's good to be back. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, sir. I got you loud and clear.
5: Okay. Since we're talking about race. It really hurts me to have to say this. Okay. But I think a major point's been missed. The Declaration of Independence outlawed slavery. It outlawed it. There's not one word in that document that supports slavery. Okay. You know uh, my mind, I don't speak too well of i can write a lot
2: better you sound you sound Look, like you're a little under the weather you got a little uh a little hoarseness going on there you okay yeah i'm all right okay
5: but declaration of independence outlaw of slavery uh people need to think about that i believe that's all i want to say
2: all right uh, united way. it's it's good to hear from you again thank you for the phone call uh <clears throat> i'm not 100 percent sure uh, where that point was was going, um, but I'll, yeah, okay, it did, and I don't know that there are too many people who are going to argue the other way that slavery was not outlawed. I'm not exactly sure what the final point there was, but uh, but okay, look, the, you know, yesterday, no, yeah, it was yesterday when we had Peter Christian on, and maybe that was this was a, this call was a response to that. <coughs> Excuse me. We're talking about the 1619 Project, which is a about a year-long um, research piece put out by the New York Times that is now being taught as factual in school. And it's suggesting that the United States truly was born in 1619. 1619 not 1776 but 1619 when the first slaves were brought uh, 20 or so brought from uh, across the Atlantic Ocean to the 13 colonies and that's what that's what the United States was founded upon the attempt of course is to essentially say that slavery and racism was at the uh, core of the United States founding and it continues to be a massive part of its DNA today and has throughout its history now numerous historians have ref- have uh, read this uh, New York Times magazine nonsense. It's not, not, it's not all nonsense, by the way. I mean, some stuff cannot be refuted, of course. We know when people came, how they came, and so on and so forth, but the uh, conclusions drawn are what's nonsense. And historians have said it is factually inaccurate, it is missing context, it is missing uh, so much about what the country did to, of course, uh, reverse that, and to how much blood was shed in order to make sure that that terrible injustice was ended. Uh, and there was so much, excuse me, so much history that was ignored by this because it was put together with a particularly, uh, you know, a very specific agenda. And the agenda, as we talked about yesterday on Cur- with Cursinow, the agenda was to look at the entirety of this country through the lens of African Americans. And in fact, they refused to hire anybody to work on this project who was not African-American, not just not white people, but just any non-blacks. If you wanted to be a photojournalist and contribute to this, if you weren't black, nope, you're not qualified. If you're not black, you can't write about it. You can't edit it. You can't copy proof it. You can't do it. Proof it or copy read it, blah, blah, blah. so, you understand the point, uh, you know, is, is that this was intended to be a more divisive, you know, to add to the number of divisive, uh, articles or messages being taught in this country today, especially to young people, and it's being taught in schools. And that was a big problem. Maybe that was a response to that, but, uh, uh, yeah, there is a, there, there is a lot of history that needs to be discussed. There's a lot of history that needs to be put into context. I have no problem with the history. In fact, I'm a history buff. I love it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm just not quite sure where the rest of that is supposed to land. Uh, let's go to John, who's calling us from Shard next. Hey, John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir.
6: Yeah, hi, Rob, Robert. I think some of these leading Democrats uh, that are running really believe that they can prevail because in their local areas, the constituents are liberal, and buy into their BS, Uh, and past tense Kamala Harris in California, and Elizabeth Warren in Massachusetts, and Joe Biden in Delaware. But when they get on the national stage, the reality is that the rest of us, by and large, do not view things as these doofuses do in those aforementioned locations.
2: So anyway, that's my take on that. I know, you know, John, thank you. And I'm glad you brought up Elizabeth Warren because I haven't talked about her yet today despite having uh, a heck of a story to share with you. I'm glad you brought her up. Thank you. And uh, the victimization crowd, by the way, you're 100% right about that too. But Elizabeth Warren is uh, on the uh, table for discussion for an entirely different reason. And I want to share this one with you. Yesterday... Uh, No, I beg your pardon. At her campaign stop Monday, not Tuesday, but Monday. This just was discovered yesterday by, by somebody who reported it. Elizabeth Warren declared that if and when she is elected president, during her inauguration in January of 2021, she will wear a Planned Parenthood scarf as she takes the oath of office. Literally, she told the crowd in Iowa, I'm going to be wearing that scarf. Apparently, she wore it during President Trump's inauguration in January of 2017, a scarf embroidered with the words Planned Parenthood. She says, I'm going to wear that scarf when I'm sworn in as President of the United States. She is going to wear a scarf paying tribute to and honoring an organization that is perhaps the most racist organization, the most pathetically hideous, uh, uh, horrific organization, and I'm looking for words that I can use on the radio, and I've got to avoid the ones that are profane. She's going to pay tribute to them, the bloody butchers who kill millions and, and have killed millions and millions of babies, in the most sacred and protected place where they, where they will ever be, in the wombs of their mothers, she is going to pay tribute to that organization. And when I say racist, because it was founded by a eugenicist named Margaret Sanger, who said that it was one of her goals was to exterminate the black population. Exterminate the black population and other undesirables that grow like weeds in our society. And the way that she was going to do that was to make abortion available everywhere. Why do you think it is that to this day, decades and decades after Margaret Sanger, the, an overwhelming majority of the Planned Parenthood uh, clinics are, um, within walking distance of minority communities? It's not an accident. They don't put them in affluent areas. They put them in near-minority communities within walking distance so that they can continue their mission to kill minority babies primarily. And Elizabeth Warren said, I'm going to be wearing that scarf when I'm sworn in as President of the United States. Her gesture would offer support for the organization uh, that has become maybe the most polarizing uh, uh, is the face of the most polarizing issue in American politics. The organization vociferously fights abortion restrictions. It performs more than 300,000 abortions annually for the past several years. So that's obviously about a million every three years. And they've been doing this for decades. And she has proposed a federal law protecting uh, a woman's right to an abortion, preempting any state laws that regulate abortion access, like we have here in Ohio with the heartbeat pill. Um, but, yeah, she said she's going to wear that. Now, I'd like to ask you, seriously, to anybody that is afraid of Elizabeth Warren as the, the potentially the Democratic nominee on a debate stage against Donald Trump, tell me how you think she is going to reach the voters in uh, the 30 states that Trump won out of 50 in 2016 including the heartland states that oppose abortion so uh, passionately, including the blue wall states that President Trump won. How is she going to convince them to turn away from the president who continues to advocate for life while she says, I am going to pay tribute to, I am going to honor the organization that kills millions and millions of babies? Uh, Good luck with that. Democrats, if that's your nominee, good luck, to, good luck with that. I wish you well. Actually, I don't. I wish uh, that you're, you're, all of your agendas would die horrible deaths. Uh, worse than the kind that they, that they perpetrate on the, un, uh, the unborn children. All right, 1048, let's get a quick timeout. Final segment coming up. If you're on hold, stay there. If you're not on hold, get there. We'll get you in and on the radio next on AM 1420, The Answer.
0: Bob France, here on AM 1420 the answer
2: The reality is that no 2020 candidate is perfect, but the extent to which people, including the media, but also would-be voters, punished and refused to even consider Kamala Harris for flaws she frankly shared with other candidates was telling and depressing. That was the tweet I referenced earlier by Joy Reid, who is uh, one of the racial arsonists on MSNBC. Uh, does A.M. Joy, she is uh, a complete hypocrite, but she says that Kamala Harris shared the same flaws as other Democrat candidates, but she's forced out. It's telling and depressing, and of course you know she's referring to what uh, uh, Julian, Castro, Julian Castro, another minority presidential candidate who is polling very poorly, also said. And that is that she is black and she is female, and that is why she is out. That America cannot stand. Black women. They don't stand, can't stand black people, and they can't stand women. And together, if you're a black woman, you got no chance whatsoever. It's all about racism and sexism in, the, in this country. Which I find just about hilarious, considering we are only one president removed from the first black president, albeit half black, uh, president of the, uh, in the United States history. And yes, there have been women who have, uh, won the nomination, which of course we saw last year, or last time in 2016. It's just that it was the wrong woman. It was Hillary Clinton. I can tell you this, I'd have voted for a woman. I would have voted for a woman if her name was Carly Fiorina and she won our nomination. I would have voted for a woman and will vote for her if her name is uh, if uh, Nikki Haley runs for president of the United States in 2024. I'll vote for a woman. A woman of color too. If someone like Condoleezza Rice uh rose to the top and decided to uh to make a run at something like this. I don't
1: care
2: about skin color. 99% of Republicans and I can't say the same for Democrats. Don't care about skin color or gender when it comes to the candidates we choose. It's about what comes out of their mouth. Have they talked the right talk? Do they have the right plans, the right agenda? And moreover, do they have a history of walking the right walk? Can I trust them? Can I believe in them? That's it. And it is just hilarious to me that the same individuals, particularly here in the state of Ohio, who criticize and condemn and suggest that Republicans uh, don't want um, uh, 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 African-American people to be elected to high positions of power, the same people that voted some 95% to 5% for Ted Strickland instead of Ken Blackwell, the black Republican gubernatorial candidate in Ohio that I and so many other Republicans did vote for. Dan is in Avon on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Dan, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Great show as always. Thank you. Hey,
3: I think with the impending uh, impeachment from the House, I think several positives uh, probably will come out of it. You know, Number one, I think it'll definitely solidify President uh, Trump's uh, base. I think it'll swing a lot of uh, dependence uh, his way, independence his way. Right. And I could I could just see the, the T-shirts and the hats right now if I was on... Uh, not President Trump's, you know, uh, campaign
2: team. Campaign?
3: Pr- yeah. Proud to be impeached by the swamp.
2: <laughs> I like that, actually. I mean,
3: because when you think about it, if he wasn't being impeached by the swamp, he wouldn't be doing his job. If he went there and he got along with everybody and started to play the game, he would have been, you know, disingenuous to his campaign and to those that voted him. He went there. He's threatening people's livelihoods. He's threatening that... That uh, that corrupt power that exists in Washington, and you know, I can just see the T-shirts and the hats. You know, some type of picture of the Congress with swamp grass growing all over it, proud to be impeached by the swamp.
2: <laughs> well, you're you right. <laughs> if he if he'd have gone if he'd have gone to D.C. and <clears throat> excuse me. And Jerry Nadler and Nancy Pelosi and, and and all of these people actually liked what he was doing, then he is not doing his job. He isn't doing what, what he was elected to do. If they actually were impressed by him, if they actually were satisfied with him, and not just them, I'm just picturing some, picking some of the leadership, but uh, but you're right, in uh, including some of the rhinos, too. If he was doing it that way, um, then then he would have been failing in, in what he said he was running on. The fact is he had to be opposed and, if not, outright impeached by the Democrats to really uh, to, to really prove that he is doing what he said he would do, you're 100 percent right. I like the idea. I would do. I would do that if I. And I don't know if I'll have anybody any direct contact with campaign members, but I will suggest to them that idea. <laughs> yeah. Sell those bumper stickers. Put those. Yeah. Put it on hats. Put it on t-shirts. That's a that's a good right. message. Okay, bud. Right. Stay well. Thank you, my my man. I appreciate Bye-bye. the call. Let me go to uh, Navy man Norm joining us from Strongsville. Hi, Norm. Good to have you back. What's on your mind?
6: Thanks, Pat. Kamala Harris is about as much an African American as Laya Watha Warren is a Cherokee Indian. She's half Indian uh, from India and half Jamaica. She is not an African American. So all these people that are crying about "boohoo, this poor victim, this poor black woman, she's not a black woman. She's half Jamaican and she's half Indian. And it just blows my mind. But I just had a question about planned Holocaust. And, uh, you know, the poster girl for the KKK, Margaret Sanger, uh you know they collect 400 million dollars a year in our tax dollars which president trump has been fighting for three years to cut and he has cut 60 million for foreign abortions uh that planned holocaust that was performing so you know these candidates like you said i can picture liawatha Warren trying to put that scarf on over her cherokee Indian headdress uh the, the day that uh, donald trump becomes a liberal There's no way that Lyle Walker-Warren is going to make it to the White House, thank God. But I just want to put a quick plug in, Bob, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, For the Cleveland Pregnancy Center, our Respect Life group from our church uh, has been working with them for the past several years, as well as Maggie's Place. And to see that these women, how they make successes of themselves and take care of their children is something to behold. So anybody that has any change left over this Christmas season, How about giving it to the Cleveland Pregnancy Center? I'm sure they would really appreciate it.
2: That's a great idea. You know, yesterday was the National Day of Giving. I wish you would have called about this yesterday, but it's still good today. Um, and, and you know, whether it's just out of charity or whether you're looking for, you know, a tax uh, write-off, uh, because these kinds of donations to organizations and churches and places of worship are indeed tax-deductible. Uh, the end of the year is coming, and you're right. Uh, Norm, if you've got any extra change, or better yet, if you've got some significant dollars that you want to donate because you'll get a tax write-off, this is a great place to do it. And uh, and it's a great message after hearing uh, from, uh, from live
6: thanks a lot bob i appreciate it have a great week god bless I've
2: Got it my friend god bless you as well yeah that that is a fantastic message that's all the time we have today thanks again to cleveland councilman matt zone for joining us on the program uh big program tomorrow joel gilbert will be joining us george zimmerman has filed a lawsuit we'll tell you that story on tomorrow's program mike gallagher's next have a great one
4: enjoy the silence